Well, good morning, Crossroads. I am so glad that you have joined us here today. And the thing is, we're wrapping up a series that has been pretty intense, radioactive, the fallout of toxic faith. What we've been really focusing on is the reality that we cannot allow anything to start growing roots in our lives that is going to take us down a path that ultimately leads to destruction and leads us into a lifestyle that turns people off to a faith and into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the reality is, it's really important for everyone to know you are dearly and deeply loved by God. And a lot of times when we as Christians say that we follow Christ, say that we love Jesus, but deny him with our lifestyle, that type of lifestyle becomes completely toxic. It turns people off to who Jesus is and the love that he has for them. And we cannot, under any circumstance, allow ourselves to fall into that trap. And that's why this series has been so incredibly important. We've been looking through these words of Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, where he just writes this. He says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. And we really have been focusing in on these next four words, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. He goes on to say, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And that's a terrifying place to be. And from such people, he says, turn away. What's interesting about this is we've taken a look at what it means to be unthankful and how poisonous and how dangerous and how toxic that is to our relationship with God. Because when I am unthankful, it means that I'm forgetting everything that God has done for me. I'm focusing on myself instead of God. And I'm forgetting that he's been faithful. I'm missing what he's doing. I'm not excited about what he's going to do, the promises for my life. And what we have to realize is that I always, always, always have something to be thankful for. And when I'm focused on Jesus, the love that he has for me, I am always going to stay in that attitude of gratitude, that state of mind where I'm thankful for who God is, all he has done for me, and what he is going to do. It's an amazing place to be, and it's a great foundation for staying and keeping a healthy faith life uh, and, and a faith that is, is really growing and alive and drawing people to Jesus. Well, we talked about the concept of what it means to be unholy, and really when you break down the definition of holiness, we're talking about this lifestyle of surrender that is becoming more like Jesus. We realize here at Crossroads, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to become more and more like him. And that's not easy. In fact, the, the Christian life is often quite messy. There's a lot of ups and there's a lot of downs. But the goal is that you can look back at your life over the last year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, and realize you aren't who you used to be. You are more like Jesus. That is what holiness is. I am becoming like him. I am set apart. My life is surrendered to Jesus. And I'm going to be obedient to his voice speaking to my life. Well, we talked last week about the concept of being unloving and how devastating it is to be a society, to be a people without love, just void of love, and how important it is that we reflect the love that Jesus has for us and love each other with that same kind of love. The fruit of that life, that, that, that spirit that is in tune with Jesus is filled with love, with joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the traits of a life that is in love with Jesus, that is sharing that love with the people around them. And that's the life that we are called to, which leads us to the final trait today, which is just the trap of being unforgiving. 
And this one is pretty sobering because the word that is actually used here is not found anywhere else in the New Testament. The word that Paul uses for unforgiving is simply irreconcilable. And when you break that down, that concept of someone who is irreconcilable, it's someone who is without treaty or covenant. It is someone who is a total promise breaker. They can say anything they want. It has no consequences. You can't trust them. That is the kind of person that Paul is alluding to here. And when you just take a step back and think about the character of someone who is unforgiving, doesn't matter what interaction you've had, doesn't matter the history that you have, you can't trust a thing that they say. It doesn't matter what they've experienced. Everything just bounces off of them. It always just comes back to them. What's in it for me? It's complete self-centeredness. And it's an inability to truly love. It's an inability to truly forgive. Because anytime that something doesn't go this person's way, they're going to hold the grudge. They're going to hold on to the offense. They will never let it go. But man, I tell you, that idea of a promise breaker has stuck with me as we, we head into this concept of being unforgiving. Because I tell you what, there's nothing more painful than someone who breaks a promise. I found that out early in my life when I was 16 years old. Many of you are aware of this because I talk about it all the time because I, I like to brag about my first car. It was a 1984 Nissan Sentra hatchback. It was amazing. Four-cylinder car, stick shift. It was honestly terrible. It's probably one of the worst cars ever made in the history of mankind. But it was mine. And I bought that car with my own money, forget this, $960. That's amazing. That's how we rolled back in 1994. Now, here's the thing. When I got that car, I drove it around for a couple months, it started squeaking, it started shaking, it started doing some things that a car should not do. So I took it into a shop. My dad said, this guy is terrific. He's a friend of mine. He's given us deals for years. He said, hey, bud, you need new rotors, you need new brakes, and by the way, your horn doesn't work. You probably should get a horn. So I'm going, you know what? I can do that. He said, I'll take care of you. It's not going to be a big deal. I've got this. So I'm going, all right, this is great. I've got a, I've got a great deal coming my way. It's going to cost me next to nothing. My brakes are going to be fixed. I'm going to have a horn that sounds like a train. It's going to be amazing. And when I went to pick up my car, that cost $670. I just want you to stop and think about this. My entire car only cost me $960, all right? Getting new brakes and a new horn for my car nearly totaled my car. I want you to consider that. I was floored. I thought we were talking about $200, maybe $250. At the time, I worked at Martin's Supermarket. You probably saw me. I was a bag boy, and then I worked in the dairy department for a while. It was amazing. I loved that job. I made, when I started working at Martin's, minimum wage, which at that time was $4.25 an hour. So when you think about how many hours you have to work to earn $670, this was a game changer. I did not like what I was dealing with, and I felt like a promise had been broken. I was complaining to my dad about it, going, Dad, you said this was going to be a good deal. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to do. It was an awful experience, and it honestly, it made me have a, a, just, a, just a terrible view of life in general. It just jaded me forever. No, it didn't. I got over it. I worked through it. I worked my butt off, and that car was amazing until I wrecked it six months later. Now, here's what we need to know. It's really important when we identify ourselves as followers of Jesus that we are thankful, that we are holy, that we're becoming more like Jesus, that we are loving. But I tell you what, there's something about keeping our word, being honest with God, honest with others, honest with ourselves, and being willing to reflect that love that God has for us in a way that extends forgiveness. Because a lot of time, the hardest person to forgive is the promise breaker. 
the person who you cannot trust, that person who is irreconcilable. And we cannot fall into the trap of being that person who is irreconcilable. That it doesn't matter what you say, you can't trust me, I'm going to hold grudges, I'm not going to forgive you. That cannot be me. That cannot be you. That is what grows roots in your heart that makes your faith toxic. No one is going to be drawn to Jesus if you are irreconcilable, if you are unable to forgive. God has to be able to trust you. The people in your life have to be able to trust you. You have to be honest with yourself and make sure that you are actually living into this purpose and plan that God has for you, that you are being obedient, that you aren't holding grudges and allowing these roots to grow deep into your heart and into your very soul. There's an interesting parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 21. It's just the parable of the two sons. It's a very simple parable that I think we can all relate with. Uh, It just simply says, Jesus said he was telling the story, and he said, there was a man with two sons. He went to his first son and said, hey, I need you to go work in the field today. And the son said, sure, dad, I'll get right on it. And he never went out, okay? He just stayed in his room playing Fortnite like they do today. Uh, It says just a little bit later, he went to his second son and said, son, I need you to go work in the field today with your brother. And his son just flipped out. I know, I'm sure your kids never do that, right? They never flip out on you. No, I'm tired. I don't want to do that. No. And he just flat out said, absolutely not that. I'm not going to go work in the field. Well, it said the son had a change of heart. An hour later, he went out and worked in the field. And so Jesus asked this question to the Pharisees who are testing him. He says, which of the sons did what the father commanded? And they're like, well, he threw a fit, but it was the second son. He's like, that's exactly right. And then he calls out the Pharisees and calls them all kinds of names because they were total hypocrites and that was directed at them, which is amazing. I love how Jesus called out the Pharisees in the New Testament all the time. But here's the point of the story. Man, a lot of times we don't respond the way that we should when Jesus speaks to us. But the ultimate thing is that he calls for us to be obedient. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer than it should for us to listen to that still small voice, but obedience is what he longs for. That's how we become more like Jesus. That's what holiness is. It's my life being surrendered to God. And the goal is that when God speaks to me, I obey, and I allow myself to be surrendered to him and and to become more like Jesus. Well, the point of this story today and the point of what we are talking to about forgiveness is really important because I cannot experience the forgiveness that God has given me and be unchanged. That has to be something that I reflect in my life. I can't experience the forgiveness of God realizing he's forgiven me of, of, of things that I just am completely guilty of. I mean, there's no getting around it. He's paid a price for me that I could not pay. I am not worthy to be in the presence of God, to have a relationship with him, to have the right to be called his child, to spend eternity in heaven. I just don't have that right. The only way that that's possible is because God has forgiven me. So if I experience that kind of forgiveness as a follower of Jesus, I have to be willing and able to extend that forgiveness to the people in my life, the people who offend me, the people who annoy me, the people that bother me, the people that have hurt me. If I have been forgiven, I have to forgive others with that same kind of forgiveness that God has for me. And Jesus really drills into this on a couple different occasions, but I think most importantly in this parable of the unforgiving servant that we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 18 today. And I want to ask you this question before we dive in. Question number one is, how many times should I forgive someone? And this is really important because the premise of today's talk is, I love like God loves when I forgive like God forgives. If we talk about the importance of not falling in that category of being unloving, to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love my neighbor as myself, I think the extension of that love is realizing that I truly love like God loves 
when I'm willing to forgive like God forgives. That's why someone who is completely irreconcilable is so toxic because they are numb. They are blind to what God has done for them and they're not willing to extend that same love and forgiveness, that mercy and compassion and kindness to the people that offend them. They're not able to pass that along. And so that's what Jesus is speaking to in Matthew 18. He says this, Uh, It starts with Peter, obviously. He's always the one who's asking questions and getting himself in weird situations. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Which is a pretty generous number. In, in, In those olden days, in the Jewish tradition, if you were willing to forgive someone three times, you were a pretty holy, you were a pretty righteous person. It was said that after three times of forgiving someone, there was no more forgiveness. They, they offend you four times, it's over. You never forgive them again, which is kind of crazy. But that was the society. So when Peter says, do I forgive my brother seven times? I mean, he's doubling what the norm is in the customs of that day. So he says, how many times should I forgive them? Seven times? Jesus replied, no, not seven times, but 77 times. Like, whoa, you just multiplied that exponentially. What's the story here? What's happening? And that's where Jesus dives into this because here's the reality. I want you to think about this. You will never forgive anyone else more than God has forgiven you. And that's the point that Jesus is about to make in this story. You will never forgive anyone else in your life, no matter how bad the hurt is, no matter how much pain there is, no matter how annoying or how offensive they are, you will never be able to forgive anyone in your life more than God has already forgiven you. So let's just pause and consider that. Because I think at the end of the day, at the end of this time together, we have to be willing to ask ourselves, who in my life do I need to forgive? Because if I'm allowing a grudge to to stay rooted in my heart, if I'm allowing anger and resentment and bitterness to grow roots, my faith is becoming toxic. I'm not forgiving the people in my life the way that God has forgiven me. I cannot fall into that kind of trap. So let's dive in here. Question number two, how do I forgive those who have hurt me? Well, let's talk about that for a second because this is painful. This is not always easy. Man, people hurt us. I mean, we all experience pain. There are moments in life where you're going, I've just been blindsided by someone who I trusted, someone who's closest to me. It hurts. I mean, we can't deny the reality that people cause us pain. We experience moments in life where our lives get turned upside down. It's because someone was a jerk. Someone offended us. Someone hurt us. So the question is real. How do I forgive those who have hurt me? This is not just some vanilla question. This is real life. So Jesus leans into this and he says this story. He tells the story. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and he forgave his debt. I mean, this is a desperate situation. This man owns, owes millions of dollars. He is looking at the possibility of being sold into slavery, his wife, his kids, everything gone. His whole life completely turned upside down. Everything is ruined. Everything is just absolutely gone. There's nothing he can do. It's a price he cannot pay. And that's what Jesus is highlighting in this experience. It's the same price that Jesus paid for you and for me. 
This is the situation we find ourselves in when we stand before God and, and hope for an eternity with Jesus, hope for a relationship with God that changes our lives. This is something I can't earn. This is something that I don't deserve, but God pays that price for me through the sacrifice of Jesus, the price that I cannot pay. You guys, we have been forgiven. We have been set free, and we cannot encounter that kind of love, that kind of forgiveness, and not share that with others. We cannot be consumed with our own hurts, with our own pains, with the grudges that we hold. We have to live with this kind of love, with this kind of forgiveness. And that's what Jesus is circling in this story. He had pity on him. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. I mean, the next transition here should be, He's just going to go find this guy who owed him a few thousand and just forgive him. Like, spread that on, pay it forward, because I have been forgiven, I forgive you. God is good, life is great, let's celebrate what he has done. But that's exactly the opposite of what happened. Jesus says he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor couldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. I mean, this is just an ugly situation. There's no getting around it. This is a situation that's just terrible all the way around. I mean, you talk about a toxic faith. It's when I'm holding on to my hurts, to my resentment, my bitterness, my anger so tightly that I can't, I, I just, I completely fail to remember the reality that God has forgiven me more than I could ever forgive someone else. Jesus has paid a price for me I could not pay. He's done something for me that I can't earn, that I don't deserve. I have to love others the way God loves me, and I love like God loves when I forgive like God forgives. So how do I do that? <laughs> Through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's God who gives us the opportunity and the power to do that, because here's the reality. Forgiveness isn't a feeling. I'll never feel like forgiving someone. It's a choice. I am going to reflect the love of Jesus in my life. I'm going to forgive others the way that God has forgiven me. And what's amazing about these moments is that these moments of forgiveness bring freedom. We don't realize how tied down we are to our resentment, our anger, and our bitterness. These grudges that we hold for years grow roots that are so deep that just divide, that just cause more pain. Forgiveness is what sets you free. You might not feel like it, but I guarantee you, if you pray through this, the Holy Spirit, God himself, will give you the power to forgive. But you have to make that choice. You have to choose to let it go. You have to forgive others the way God has forgiven you. He goes on in, in Colossians 3. This is an amazing passage of Scripture that Paul also writes to, to the church that, that parallels this concept. It's so important. Paul says, listen, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, we've talked about holiness, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults, and forgive anyone who offends you. If you are God's chosen people, if you have encountered that love of Jesus, this is the life you must live. You've got to clothe yourselves. You've got to choose to put on these traits. And those traits, he says, are mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. A lot of those intersect with what we talked about last week, the fruits of the Spirit, the lifestyle that is lived when you encounter Jesus and you're walking with him. This is what we have to do. We have to choose to walk in this way, in the love that God has for us, and the love that he calls us to share with others. I love like God loves when I forgive like God forgives. It's a choice that I have to make. This is very interesting. So it leads to this final question. 
why should I forgive those who have hurt me? I mean, okay, that's how. I have to choose to, but, but why should I? Why, why do I have to do this? Why is this so important? Well, it, it brings freedom. Let's talk about this. Jesus went on to say this story. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? You see the expectation that God has for us in this moment? I showed you great mercy. Shouldn't you have shown your friend the same kind of mercy? That's the expectation that God gives us. That's what he calls us to. It goes on to say, Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt, which was millions of dollars. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Boy, that paints a pretty sobering picture. Forgiveness is pretty important to God. He does not take that lightly. Jesus paid the ultimate price so that we could experience forgiveness, so we could experience freedom. So why should I forgive others? Well, it's pretty simple, because God has forgiven me. We can't ever lose sight of that. And it's when we allow ourselves to become irreconcilable, so consumed with our own hurts, so consumed with our own offenses that we forget what God has done for us, that we become toxic, that we forget that we are to forgive others the way God has forgiven us. We've got to be very careful because it is a slippery slope, and the more we hold on to these feelings of hurt and angerness and bitterness and resentment, the more it destroys our very souls. So I challenge you with these words in Colossians 3 again. It goes back, Paul says, Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And that's a powerful concept. I mean, he's circling this. I mean, Paul says this, Jesus says this. This is all throughout the New Testament. You see this thread all throughout Scripture. Man, the same way that God forgives me, this is the expectation in my life. This is how I am to forgive others. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. But I must forgive because God has forgiven me. He's given me something I couldn't earn. He's given me something I don't deserve. I have to pay that forward if I'm going to stay where God wants me to be. If I'm going to become, it is that he's calling me to be. And so the final piece here is is very important. I think there's a couple statements that we have to really focus on here that become realities when we put this into practice in our life. I think number one is you will never forgive anyone else more than God has forgiven you. No matter how deep that hurt is, no matter how painful that situation is, you will never forgive anyone in your life more than God has forgiven you. I think secondly, we have to remember, you are only hurting yourself if you are not willing to forgive others. Because that is something toxic that is going to grow in your heart. You will be consumed by resentment, by anger, by bitterness. And over time, it will be something that makes you irreconcilable. Honestly, the definition of someone who has a toxic faith. You have to let it go. You must choose to forgive. You must forgive because God has forgiven you. Finally, I think we have to realize the importance that you need forgiveness in the future. And if God forgives me the way I forgive others, then it's really important to realize, hey, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not perfect. I offend people all the time. I'm sure of it. Just ask my wife and kids. The reality is, listen, we have to realize I need forgiveness in the future. So if I want to expect, if I'm going to expect God to forgive me, I have to forgive others the way he's forgiven me. The final piece here, I just want to read this because it ties it all together. As Colossians 3, 12 through 15 wraps up, Paul says, Above all, clothe yourselves with love. We talked about that. Which binds us all together in perfect harmony. 
And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Peace that's only possible when I'm walking with Jesus, when I'm loving others the way that God loves me, when I'm forgiving others the way God has forgiven me. He says this, For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Man, he ties this all together. I mean, he's highlighting, hey, we've got to be thankful. We've got to be loving. We've got to forgive as God has forgiven us. We have to be holy. God has called us to a different kind of life. And listen, it's not easy. We deal with pain. I, I'm, I don't want to make light of the pain that you've experienced, the offense that you've had, the, the situations and the circumstances that people have put you in that you have to deal with. But the reality is you're dearly and deeply loved by God. And God has forgiven you so much more than you could forgive others. I'm challenging you today, forgive others in your life the way that God has forgiven you because this is a path to true freedom. This is the path to peace. And it's the foundation for a faith that becomes a light that shines in the darkness that draws people to Jesus and glorifies him. So I want to ask you these questions. One, one more point. I love like God loves when I forgive like God forgives. So the question is this, who is it? that I need to forgive. And I would ask you to take that question seriously because if you're not willing to forgive someone who has offended you, who has hurt you, you're only hurting yourself. That becomes a thing in your life that separates you from God. It keeps you from becoming more like him. Remember, you love like God loves when you forgive like God forgives. So I ask you today, who is it in your life that God's placing on your heart right now that you need to forgive? I'd like to close by praying a prayer that's pretty common to everyone, but that I think seals the deal on this concept. And so if you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes and, and pray with me this Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive those who trespass, who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.